This is Manifest Mindset, where we delve into our true passions, inspire the best out of ourselves, and live our life with true intention every single day. All right, welcome back to Manifest Mindset. We're here again with Nick and Bob. We're in the, the midst of the coronavirus once again. Um, so how are you doing with that, all of this, Nick? Well, I don't have it, so that's a good sign. Step number one, check. Check. So. Very good. Uh, and uh, check number two, I still got a job. So, hey, that's a check that uh, not as many people have. So I'm very grateful for that. Yeah, it's very it's very fortunate. Um, it's, it's surprising how much it progressed since the last time we talked. Um, like, like we said, it's just like exponentially grow, growing. Um, but I'm glad you still have a job. You're you're healthy, and I'm healthy as well. So now, Bob, tell tell me about you. I heard some rumors that you guys have gone to all online class and had some crazy stuff. And now this is your last year of physical therapy grad school. So what does that look like for you guys? What the heck does that even mean? Well, I mean, we just have, like you said, we just have online classes. Um, the only required meeting time we have is is one class uh, where, where the professor just wants us to talk, like everybody to talk. Um, but other than that, it's clinical still as planned. Um, graduations move to August. Move to August. Hopefully, it'll happen. Who knows? Maybe the coronavirus will still be in full fledged. Um, I, but I, I don't know. Um, but it's just the last year that the plan to still graduate is still there. The goal is still there. Awesome. Everything's still aligned. Okay. Yeah. Well, so. as always, it's kind of a, we're drawing up the plays on the fly here. Don't know exactly how it'll, how it'll go. Um, and it's reminders like these where, you know, as much as we think that the people who are normally in charge, normally in control, uh, have everything on lockdown, completely understand what's going on, it's another reminder that they have no clue what's happening. And not just in this situation, but usually in any situation, usually the people who are in charge, uh, they don't know a ton more than the people who don't, but they got some track history to back it up. They got some confidence to back it up and they got thinking on their feet to back it up. Now it's just the same damn thing, but more apparent than ever. Yeah. It's, it's, um, it's definitely something. Also, before we get into the meat and potatoes today, um, something as of today, it's, it's very interesting. Um, New York, just New York in general, has almost the same amount of confirmed coronavirus cases as um, China, as the whole country of China. Wow. So it's very interesting. Um, my, my parents were all staying safe. We're not going to the grocery stores. We're being at home. Um, so it's, it's very interesting. That's crazy. Well, Bob, we're about to do a social experiment here because as we're going on this podcast, I'm actually going to be walking into a grocery store here where see what's happening. Uh, I'm hoping that they still got some eggs left for me because here's the thing, Bob. People, like, I walk into grocery store, like, pre-coronavirus. Like, I feel like, you know, we got, like, before Christ, after Christ thing. There's going to be, like, pre-corona, post-corona stuff going on for everybody referencing it. So we're going on, and uh, so I'm walking into grocery store, pre-corona, and I grab my carton of eggs that holds 150 eggs in it. And I get, I do that for every two weeks, right? And so people look at me like, oh my gosh, is that guy stocking up? And now I'm looking like everybody else, like, oh, they're trying to stock up too. But wait, they're actually stocking up. I'm just doing my darn normal thing all the time. I go through food way too fast. Wait, so like one, one five zero? One five zero. 
Okay, one five zero. One five zero. Yep. Wow. So are you are you wearing a mask or anything or anything like preparation wise or? So I yell really loud and people run away to keep it six feet. No, I'm kidding. Um, I am not Bob. I'm not wearing a mask. Um, I wash my hands all the dang time. Use that hand sanitizer, the alcohol stuff. Um, so I keep myself clean. I take proper precautions. But no, I'm not uh, walking around wearing a mask. Because frankly, if I was taking the true precautions that you need to when you're wearing a mask, I'd be changing that mask all the time. I'd be discarding them. And I honestly think that they're better served to be in the hands of healthcare workers who actively need them. So I've had times when I'm at work at my job where I've worn a mask because I feel like I need to for my safety or for the specific patients I'm working with. And so I do then. But kind of ethically for me, when we're running out of masks all over the place here, I'd rather than be in the hands of healthcare workers where there's going to be an actual need where if I take care of myself in the community and wash my hands, honestly, the risk is relatively low. Good. So last week we talked about, as you're uh, going on your grocery trip, last week we talked about, um, uh, we, we ended off with like a, a little talk about residency. So two weeks prior to the coronavirus talk and the coronavirus podcast episodes, um, we talked about was the residency worth it? And last episode, at the end of last episode, I wanted to ask you like um, about the specific processes, if we have any tips, any advice um, for somebody that wants to do a residency that's graduating from physical therapy program. Um, I'm going through the process right now. You went through the process a year ago, are in a residency, and you have many good things to say about it. Um, do you have any general tips, advice? Yeah. Um, I got, I, yeah, I got a few pointers on that, Bob. I think the first thing that I want to be um, pretty explicit about in this process is that I think residency is a great opportunity. As we've talked about in previous episodes, episodes, it is not the opportunity. It is not the Golden Gate ticket. It is not kind of your gateway to success inherently. Any opportunity is always what you make of it. Um, what I will say is if you're graduating physical therapy school or in your first two to three years, um, I think that if you know what specific area within physical therapy you want to do, whether it's orthopedics, neuro, sports, um, geriatrics, pediatrics even, um, that's not for me, but that's cool too. We need great people doing that stuff. If that's for you and you know your area, my question to you is what? why wouldn't you do a residency? What experience are you going to have that's going to put you better off than having a residency for yourself. If you can find something great, it's all about what you value. If you really want mentorship, if you really want to be a good clinician, then why wouldn't you seek that mentorship and that training? And now, again, some people, when they come down to it, they decide that, hey, they don't want to be a good clinician. They don't want to be a great clinician. They want to be average. They want to be mediocre. They want to be entry level. And, Bob, I'm not here to judge for that. Um, I'm not here to judge if people want to kind of settle where they're at. But what I am here to judge about is, hey, are your actions not currently in accordance with what you believe you say you do? So that if you really, really want something, and if you say and you expressly say that you value that, why aren't you spending active time pursuing that for yourself? Yeah. So those those are kind of my thoughts around um, residency. Should you do it? Should you not? And it's all about getting down to that deeper why. It's all about 
you know, do you have value in that? And once you say you do, okay, awesome. That's good to say at the superficial level, but then it's, what are you going to do about it? So that's the mindset that I want to kind of instill in everybody that I talk to with this for the importance of it. Now, today's talk is going to be a little bit more on logistics. You cool with that? Yes. So more on the practical side. Absolutely. More on the factual side. We've explored the why. We've explored the rationale a heck of a lot. But now it's time to get into the nitty-gritty of you say, okay, not only do I want to do a residency, or maybe I'm just considering it. I don't know if I want to do it yet. But you're kind of in that mentality for yourself. Once you've been there for a while, okay, sweet, let's take action on it. So you've got to find out first what kind of residency you want to do. Is it the ortho? Is it the sports? Neuropediatrics? Whatever it might be. After that, after you kind of get that unlocked down to yourself, it's, you've got to look through the programs. You've got to say, hey, what do I value? In some ways, it's like going to college again. It's like saying, hey, what area in the country could I feel like I want to live in that I could do well? Do I have other kind of people tying me down, for lack of a better word, that I've got to be mindful of? And, um, you know, what kind of experience do I want? What, what is, do I want the mentorship to look like? The biggest fact is to initially knock off a lot of programs is, do you want in-house training in terms of do you want a program that puts together all their own concepts, all their own courses where you have access to the mentors all the time, or do you want some aspects of distance learning? And that's the biggest question you need to ask yourself. Now, Bob, here's a great success that I'm going to pause for a second for. We got my 150 eggs. We're good to go, my yeah. man. So I'm going to have you stop. You, you stop. Bob, 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 you, you stall. You say something for the podcast so I can pick these eggs up, all right? Well, okay, yes. Well, I was going to ask you if, if they were available, like if there was a lot of eggs available. But, that was uh, wonderful. That was wonderful. That was wonderful. You, great improv acting, Bob. Well, no, no. I, I was asking if <laughs> if there's any eggs of it. Like, how many eggs were available? Like, was yep. there a so, lot in stock? Yeah. So yeah, they were like they were a lot in stock. So one, two, three, four, five, six. I picked up one box that has 150 eggs, and there were six more of those left. Plus, you know, the, the the normal people stuff, the normal people where they're like, oh, let me uh, go get a dozen eggs or 18 eggs at a time. They've got those two. So a box has 150 eggs? Yep. Okay. And, and you get one box or five boxes? No, no, no. I get one box, Bob. Okay. I'm, I, I, am but a, I am but a mere mortal in this world. <laughs> but th- thanks for checking on me. I appreciate it. Well, yes, of course. Um, as we're... As we're on this side conversation, I'm curious, how long does it take you to, to get through 150 eggs? Two weeks. Two weeks? Okay. Yeah. So I'm, a, I'm on my normal cycle. You know, some people say they have their uh, their typical monthly cycles that also has to do with eggs. I've got my different uh, bi-weekly cycle that has to do with eggs. Wow. Good. Good. I, okay. That, 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 that's, that's enough about that nonsense. Um, okay. Let's, let's get back on the crazy residency train, which is almost as crazy as my eating habits. So I think the first question, like we talked about, is do you want in-house or an external experience? And, you know, Bob, you were looking at um, an external experience more often from the one that's more the McKenzie base, and that's not inherently a bad thing at all. It's um, There are opportunities that are very different. I know for myself, when I went there, I wanted a in-house experience. I wanted something that offered the mentorship right there that offered the courses right there that I'd have access to my mentors kind of passively where I could get access to them anytime they're there in person. I can, you know, annoy them and badger them a little bit, 
and we're good to go, and that they help create a lot of the course content I'm receiving. So that was important to me. Now, with the out-of-house residencies, there are different levels to that. There are some of the ones you're doing that, hey, they've got their curriculum, they've got their content that are infused with um, computer education courses. But then with that, um, they still create that content, and you're still learning from a distance with going in for different weekend courses and that kind of thing in person occasionally. They've got other ones where they contract all theirs out. So something like evidence in motion, you know, they can accept up for the ortho residency, they can accept up to like 100 residents a year. I don't know what they're actually doing. They're probably more like 20 to 30 to 40 or something. Um, but because they can see people all over the country. And you just basically have a low-level requirement where you have to have an OCS mentor through that. So there's a huge spectrum for myself. I wanted the in-house for convenience. For you, you have a very specific opportunity. You're talking about opening the PT business out of your mom's acupuncture clinic. So that's a convenience aspect. You want to work part-time. That's another thing you want to consider. So these residencies, they're full-time and part-time. So, Bob, those are some of the logistics that come to mind. That's very easy to say. For me, let's say I'm looking through the orthopedic residencies. It's easy to look at those details and say, hey, let me cross out all the ones that don't fit my requirements. If you want only an in-house, boom, you can knock out like 30. If you are only an out-of-house for different opportunities, sweet, you can knock off like 60. Pretty easy that way. So almost like, almost like you know, the low-level physical therapy, when we first start to learn, we usually don't learn by confirming diagnoses. We learn by, let me test a ton of crap and knock some things out of there, rule some things out, right? Yes. So that's kind of the residency process in a way is ruling things out once you get your overall classification, whether it's neurosports, whatever. Then from there, things you want to value, you know, what kind of hours do you want to work? Um, but then location too, right? This doesn't take a genius to figure it out. There are some places in the country you just don't want to live. Now, ironically, Bob, I went to some of those places I didn't want to be. I went to Dallas, Texas in the middle of the summer where my mother's from Minnesota, my father's from New Hampshire. I'm basically a half Viking with the way my blood works and I, can, I love the freaking cold and I go to a 100 degree place in the summer. That's absurd, but I learned a ton from that in my last clinical. I, I'm not a city person, right? And I end up in Los Angeles of all places and I freaking love it. Yeah. So that's not, that's not the only means. For me, I know I knew I wanted to go to the best residency for myself and I didn't have anybody tying me down at the time. And so that was my factor, right? So there are some places I crossed off, but a lot of places I didn't. After location, and after you say you want in-house, out-of-house, whatever, it's about how many mentors do you want? How many mentors do you want access to? What's the setup of mentorship? Are you meeting with them every week? Are you meeting, if it's a distance one, are you meeting at your clinic? Are you going to their clinic to travel? Um, how many mentors do you have throughout the year? The top two programs that I, I kind of had a top four and narrowed it down to a top two pretty quickly. Well, I'm, I'm lying to you. I originally, I took the list of about 90 orthopedic residencies. I went through them all to some degree. Initially in this process of getting a ton of them out of there, I narrowed it down to about 30. From that 30, 30 I got it down to a, a good 12, a dirty dozen, pretty damn quick. And those are all different benefits, and I broke them down. Like I, I probably did more analyzing than most people do because I knew I wanted this thing for a while. So I broke it down in terms of what the mentoring stratification was, uh, in-person, in-house, out-of-house, um, location, how much it cost, um, was it full-time, part-time, kind of the reputation of the place. Um, actually going ahead and talking to the directors of these programs and finding out more specific questions about it. 
So I was definitely invested. And But I know different people, too, that have said, hey, this sounds like a cool opportunity. It's only a month before the deadline. Let me apply and see what the heck happens. I have a great friend of mine who did that. He got in. He finished the residency. He graduated. Uh, just took the OCS test. And you know what, Bob? He did amazing. He loved it. Um, but that's, again, we have different pathways. But ultimately, you know what kind of person you are and know what kind of level of preparation you want to take. It doesn't mean good or um, it's good or bad to be more or less necessarily. It's just, okay, who are you and what do you, what do you want to get out of it? So as I was looking through these programs, I was looking for throughout the year, how many mentors do I want? So, you know, some programs for a year, they just have one mentor. So if you think about some of the clinicals you've been on, whether it's an eight week, a two, so a two month or a three month clinical, and you're out there for just, you know, that time with just one CI, okay, you know, do you want a whole year with just one person like that? Eh, I don't know about that. So for me, my top two choices, Bob, my top two choices either had about 12 to 13 mentors for one of them that it rotated through based on the different courses that they taught, yeah. or the other one was three mentors. So which one do you think I went with? Um, I think you went with the three one. I don't know. I did. I did. I went with the three one. And so again, that was part of the reason why I might have been less excited for that to go with the three. But I went with three and knowing that at the specific clinic I was at with the three, when we were on there for our days, we've got twenty different physical therapists there. We've got myself, a couple other residents, we've got two sports fellows, two spine fellows, two persistent pain fellows, all the upper administration for PTs that still see patients that have been there for a long time in that learning environment. Um, all of their, all the mentors of the fellows there. So while we had three throughout the year for four month period each, there's still a heck of a lot that we can do to improve our practice, to go ahead and grow for what we want. So that was huge for me, what I really wanted. Okay, wow. So what I'm hearing, so, so basically for this residency, so the logistics, the practical aspects, really narrow down, get the first start at what section of physical therapy you want, either orthopedic, neuro, um, geriatrics, whatever. Then you figure out if you want on-site or off-site. Once you do that, you figure out location-wise, where's the best location, um, if the location works for you, for your situation, for your finances, all that, and then you go down to what kind of mentorship you're seeking um, based on the numbers of mentors that are there. Would you say that that's like a good like funnel of things you should do? I would, Bob, and I would I would actually you know it depends on your values, right? For me personally, I value the mentorship over the location. Um, but some people will value the location much over the mentorship. But I think the initial steps are um, equivocal, are the same, and really matter for individual people. Um, so I think that. I think it's a process, it's a challenge, but it's something that if you're willing to invest in the next stage, why don't you just go ahead and do it? Yeah, good. I, I like I like that practical part of like breaking down which residency we should go to or which residency you should go to and like what factors and values are important to you and where you should place that on your list of how you're going to apply. Um, Absolutely, because you know, Bob, it's it's all about what's in accordance. If are your actions the most accordance with your values? Because it's a good thing we don't have too many people in the world that are as crazy as me. It's a good thing we don't have too many clones in me, right? This world would be a the awful, terrible, weird place, man. But I don't one know of about me, that. 
it, it, would get, it would get pretty strange. Okay. All right. I'll, I'll take your word for it. Then. But uh, no, it's uh, life is good, my friend, and it's uh, it's that's the decision-making process that we should all be going through, to some way, shape, or form. So, as Bob, as you hear that, as you hear your process in contrast to kind of what you're doing, what you think, what are your thoughts with that? I, I really like it. I, I kind of already went through this process of figuring out which residency would be the best fit for me location-wise um, and distant learning-wise and mentor-wise um, and also information-wise. Um, so we talked about, like, the practical aspects of choosing a residency. Now, can we shift over to the practical aspect of what it takes to get into residency to, like, increase your chances to get into residency? So when I was probably like a junior or senior, um, I went to one of my professors and talked to him about uh, a residency that, that he started, and I asked him for tips on like what students can do to have like a better chance um, to get into residencies. And one Absolutely. Thing Bob, for any uh, people who know Ithaca College, for any people who are familiar with either of us, who is that professor? It is uh, Dr. Winslow. Okay. So, All right. Uh, John Winslow. So... Um, the one thing that was at the top of his list was taking as many continuing ed courses and going to CSM or any conference as much as you can as a student. That was what um, his residency or, or him, he was looking for specifically when looking for Now that you've gone through the process, do you have any like tips, any advice, any knowledge of what you think really helped excel your application? Bob, I, I have a ton in that aspect, but before I get to that, let me ask you, yeah. what was his rationale when he told you that? Were you just like, oh my gosh, I'm off, so like, let me learn more, like I'm, a, I'm barely in PT school, let me like soak this all up, or what was, what was his rationale, what was your perception of that, or even when he said, take a ton of Con Ed, what was your gut reaction with that? So, well, let me just explain more of what he, he talked about. Um, he just talked more about um, like all, all PT students, they're all basically, if you put them all like in a jar, everybody's the same. You can't tell the difference because everybody has good grades. Everybody's gone through PT school. Everybody's motivated. Everybody's smart. Everybody's that go-getter attitude. Um, but what separates the, the normal, although great physical therapy students from another student would be taking as many continuing that courses and taking that initiative to, to really set them apart. Um, so, so my gut reaction was like, yeah, that makes sense. I should start taking courses too, just to, to learn more, to find things that I was passionate about. Um, so that was, that was my initial gut reaction. Okay. I like it. And now let me ask you another question, Bob Chang. What, Cause we're talking about our values. We're talking about comprehension, understanding it. And we're talking about, okay, are your actions in accordance with your values? I'm curious to hear your perspective. What have you done to lead yourself towards that? And in what ways in your life have your actions been in line with that? And what ways in your life since then have your actions not been in line with that? So what ways have my actions been aligned with taking more continuing credit? Or yeah, yeah, with, with with that advice that you heard back then and the advice that you, it appears so, that you took to heart. Well, every opportunity that I thought would be interesting to take continuing wise, I took. So, for example, 
um, a few years ago, you and I went to New York City. There was like a, a school, whatever conference. Um, we drove to New York. You drove specifically. We went through the course or we went through the, the classes um, and we put that on the, I, I put that on my CD. Um, there are many other courses, uh, continuing courses that were at um, the residency that the the professor made, so Cayuga Medical Center. Um, I took many of the courses there. I got a feel of what the courses were like, what that residency was. So I, I put all effort in to, to take his advice. So basically, I asked for the advice and I applied the advice um, because I knew that a residency was something that I wanted um, initially. So initially, in the introduction to the physical therapy course, Carl Bergman, he was the professor teaching um, that course, and he said that uh, a residency would give you five years of experience in one. And that initially really was like, wow, I want to really get that. Uh, get the edge when, when treating patients get from possible. So I really took that and John Winslow's advice and put them together. And then action-wise, I tried to do everything I could to take as many continuing classes as I could. Now, Bob, I'm going to ask you another question. Yes. Because that's probably the most consistent thing I do on this podcast is ask questions, if we're being honest here. Um, with that, how did you select which continuing education opportunities you wanted? What was your criteria? What were you looking at there? That's an interesting question. Um, also it's, it's one down. thing to say, take as many as you can. It's another thing to say, okay, where, where do I go besides yes or no? Yes. So, um, personally, I took the continuing courses that were drawn to me. That, that I thought were, were potentially interesting. So one of the first ever like residency course continuing uh, courses that I took was the strength and conditioning um, principles for rehab in the rehab setting. And, and I really believed in that. I thought that was a very interesting topic. So that was something I took. Um, then I got interested in low back pain, um, spine pain. I took some courses on that because those were things that I was interested in. Also, another thing that I was interested in was pain science. I took some courses on that. And basically, I just picked, I just cherry-picked continuing courses that were, one, near my location so I could get there, and also were things that I was passionate and interested in. Okay. So if I'm hearing you correctly, Bob, you're saying that, hey, the factors I looked at for these, besides just, yes, I wanted to do Con Ed for the sake of the residency, but there's also an intrinsic value in it more than just making myself look good for residency is, hey, what do I have interest in and not being afraid to diversify within those interests and expressing that for myself? Yes. Correct. I like it. I like it. That's a great rationale. Now, Bob, before I interrupted you and we got talking on this topic, what was that question that you asked me before, before I talked, as you were uh, telling me about John Winslow and his story that he told you? So, um, five minutes ago, we talked about how, Oh, wait, wait, it was, um, let me remember. It was something along the lines of you were asking me my perspective of, hey, what looks, what makes you look good for residency? What makes you look prepared? Okay. In terms of, like, a CV resume. Um, so I met with John Winslow also. And I met with him, I'm trying to remember when. I think it was my senior year. Um, so a little bit after you, but you, you were on the ball earlier than I was. Um, I've had a lot of friends who were on the ball earlier than you were. 
And, you know, he mentioned different people at that time that had taken his advice and found success, whether it was Joe Ricotta or Tim Reynolds or other people along those lines that were uh, either late-level um, student PTs, people that accepted the residency, or, um, you know, already current physical therapists in residency or out of residency. So I went to talk to those people as well as get their perspective. And so he gave me a similar advice where he said, listen, all PT students are the same. And really that's bullshit. What he meant by that is all good PT students are the same. You look at classes and you look at people for any program, you can weed the people out for each other. I mean, you can, and it's not just about grades, right? You can get a, a 3.8 GPA, somebody that you're like, uh, I don't know if I'd give my, my dear family member over to you for care. And it stinks to say that, but there's just, um, I believe we have to have a higher level of, um, what's the word I want to say, a higher standard that we have to carry. Um, I believe that when students come out of, when clinicians come out of residency in their specialty, that's kind of the entry level they should be at. Um, so there's, there's a lot of work we have to do in this profession, but I, with that being said, we have an incredibly amazing profession and a lot we can do with it. So all good PT students are the same. So my question to you, and rephrasing it from John Winslow a little bit, is what are you going to do to stand out? What are you going to do to make yourself different, make yourself better? People who find a good, great residencies are going to have a solid GPA. They're going to have that. They're going to have good marks in their classes. They're going to be able to do pretty good with your hands-on stuff. So what makes you different? And not only what makes you different in terms of your personal skills or your and that manual skills, your clinical reasoning skills, but how can you tangibly, objectively show that and make it measurable? That's what it's all about, Bob, and you echoed that very, very well and vividly. So he also mentioned to me that, hey, a great avenue, a great opportunity to do this is through teaching education courses. Now, at that time, I seen the year, Bob, I was a teaching assistant for um, our anatomy course, for our undergraduate anatomy course. And that was kind of, that wasn't my first knock at, um, um, at being a teaching assistant. I had done like an undergrad biology before and that kind of thing. But that was my first knock at it from a physical therapy course perspective. Now, I went on throughout my kind of um, career as a student physical therapist to TA five more classes through that time. And that's because I did gen was an opportunity that set me apart. Yes, but that was a secondary motivation. I absolutely loved teaching. It lit me up, brought me on fire. I love the passion. I love the energy. I loved everything about it. So that was going for me. Okay. After that, what else? Um, some of these courses that we talked about. Absolutely. So kind of after that conversation with him, and I had a follow-up conversation with him another time too, but the conversation moved in the direction of, okay, he, he put the ball on my court. And I asked him for, hey, do you have any specific recommendations for things? And I kind of, I was explicit again. I told him, hey, here are my interests. Here are the things where I'm like, listen, I've got a strong, strong interest in this. What can we do with it? Awesome. That's great, right? We want people motivated for that. So I talked to him, and basically, uh, he gave me, said, said, hey, here are a couple places that could be worth a try that he's either taking class, that he's taken some degree of classes from. He gave me four places. So I did a heck of a lot of research. And I said, hey, 
first criteria, number one, is do they even take student physical therapists? Do they even let student physical therapists go to the courses? Out of the four of them, only two of them did. So I'm like, okay. Now, Bob, if you're getting a sense of this right now, I'm a guy, I'm a man of logistics, right? I mean, I know my values, I know my actions, but I also know what are the common roadblocks in the way, and I'm a man of logistics to say, okay, how can I work on this in the best possible way for myself with having less roadblocks in my way? So as physical therapists, we're people with goal setters for our patients usually, but we can take those same skills to be goal setters for ourselves and figure out, you know, what's the optimal way to go about this and not just, oh, let's skip around the roadblock, but completely demolish the roadblock to make it better for ourselves. And I truly believe that. So two out of the four of them accepted student PTs. Sweet. So that narrowed it down pretty damn good. After that. While, I, you're, on, while you're on this um, topic, would you mind, like, talking about which continuing ed courses or which, like, like the names yeah. of the places, um, just, just for people that are listening? Absolutely, Bob. So these are um, for country-wide ones. Um, let me see. I looked at uh, – I looked at NIOMPS, North American Institute of Orthopedic Manual Therapy, and that's the one I ended up going with. I also looked at ones from uh, University of Michigan, and that's where um, Philip Greenman, um, you know, some of Greenman's old classic orthopedic books, uh, he's a doctor of osteopathy. He did a ton of work with the University of Michigan. They did not take student physical therapists. Um, I want to say it was... St. Augustine's program. Um, there was, I can't remember out of the other ones, Bob. Um, I want to say it was St. Augustine's program that did take. Um, no, St. Augustine's program did not take um, physical therapy students. And there was one other one that did, but I can't remember the top of my name. Um, but basically what it came down to at first initially was, okay, um, NIOMS, North American Institute of Orthopedic Manual Therapy, gave discounts for students. Any course that you could take for the entry level for kind of the first series, you could get as 50% off for it as a student compared to the normal price. And their normal price wasn't ridiculous. At the time, their normal price was like 600 650 for a weekend course at 21 credit CEU where you're there for two days and it's another full day of online learning to prep for it. And so, at, you know, that 50% off, that's a big freaking deal. So I wanted to take advantage of that big freaking deal. You know, a la Hillary Greenberger there. Yeah. So I, what I did next was I said, okay. So I kind of messaged John back, said, hey, here's what I found. I'm going to roll with this, and we'll be in touch. And so I started looking at different courses they offered. I looked at um, different instructors, and I started saying, hey, they had online content. They had videos out there of different instructors doing some demos. And I saw this one dude. I saw this one dude, Terry Pratt. And a lot of great respect for this man. I saw Terry Pratt giving one of his videos, and I'm like, hey, I can learn from this guy. So what I did is I listed out the NIOMP courses that were in my region, my area. And by the way, that they were all at least three hours away, if not five. I, I listed out, okay, when are they throughout the year? When could I take them? You know, take at least a couple. Great. And I said, okay, let me let me take my first one with Terry Pratt. It was the cervical spine one course. You're out there, um, any NIAP course that you can take as a student, they now accept second and third year PT students in there. Is there cervical one course, cervical two course, lumbopelvic one, lumbopelvic two. 
their upper extremity, lower extremity, and thoracic spine. So they have seven courses that you can take as a student for a 50% discount. Bob, throughout my time, um, I originally planned just taking a couple, two of them to get a diversity of experience, lumbo pelvic one, lumbo pelvic two. Well, then after that, I wanted to, sorry, um, lumbo pelvic one, cervical spine one. Yep. Well, after that, I wanted to build on it. I said, okay, this 50% off thing is pretty cool. And I'm not going to pretend like I had money laying around, Bob. I just take out like an extra loan for this stuff. But it was an, an investment in my future. It was an investment in terms of the 50% off superficially. So let me get some extra, you know, you talk about, we talk about the difference between intrinsic, extrinsic motivation. This was highly intrinsic, but there are extrinsic elements of saying, okay, a better chance for residency, extrinsic in terms of there's a cost factor. So I did all seven of the courses by the time I graduated physical therapy school, just barely. Well, I know for myself, I wouldn't have done all seven as fast if there wasn't a 50% off. Yeah. So that was, I probably would have done like four or something. So I did all well, seven of those. Um, and actually I was going to test, they have a um, in-person manual exam that I was actually in Dallas, Texas when they were doing it in Dallas um, in August but I didn't take my boards till October and I had to be a licensed PT to take that. So because of that, I wasn't eligible to. Um, but anyways, I took five courses through Terry Pratt, two courses through two other great NIOMS instructors. Um, and when I went down to Dallas, Texas, like I said, Bob, for that summer, my last clinical, when I was down there, um, it was a great spot. And I've talked about this before on the podcast, but Every single clinician down there was OCS minimum. Uh, my CI, he was a chiropractor, fellow of manual therapy, um, athletic trainer, um, PT with a bunch of credentials. Um, and they also had a um, great man and great friend of mine, um, Michael Lucido. And he's another faculty member through NIOMPT. And so he was at my specific clinic along with a couple people going through the fellowship program at NIOMPT. And one who had already finished, another one going through who were mentors and stuff. So I'd already been through their system. I'd taken all seven courses by that point and when I went down there. So it was a great opportunity to get as damn good as I can, not just in their system, but in kind of all orthopedics and manual therapy. So my belief, Bob, was that I had my foundation level. My entry-level foundation level was elevated. And if, you're, if you truly want to better yourself, like we talked about with the residency, why would you even wait till residency? Why would you wait until, okay, there's this... Um, why would you wait until, okay, let me get to this point before I set my foundation level higher? No, let me get my foundation level higher so when I do hit the ground running, I can get more and more out of it. Now, I've gotten feedback from a few people saying that, you know, I shouldn't do residency. Residency is a waste of time. And for their rationale, it was, dude, Nick, you're already at the levels of a bunch of residents who have graduated residency already. And I'm going to call BS on that. Um, I'm going to call BS because it's always a learning opportunity. I know through the residency I'm in now that I can continue to get far better than I already am. And it's not about getting to a certain level, Bob. It's about improving your competency from where you're already at. So we have to stop being in a fixed mindset and saying, this is where I'm getting post-residency. We have to be in a growth mindset saying, I'm going to be as good as I can until this point, and then I'm going to continue being as good as I can with this extra stimulus to improve my homeostasis of my body system in my mind, my clinical reasoning, my hands-on skills, all of that, just like cells behave, just like our physiology behaves. We're no different as a collective system. We have to up our level by the stimulus applied. So why not have a higher 
um, threshold, a higher starting point for higher stimulus that we're going to get to residency and make the most out of it. Instead of doing it when, ah, I don't know about this, I'm wishy-washy. No, it ain't for you. To, to go back, I, I loved everything you, you just said. Like there, that was great advice, great tips, great age wisdom from Nick Davis herself. Um, so going back to what uh, John Winslow said about physical therapists, students are all the same. And you, and you put the spin on it that like only good physical therapists all the same or, or all good, good physical student therapists are all the same. Um, you, you get my point. And, and I'm gonna I'm gonna interrupt you again, Bob. And just like I'm interrupting myself with that, I'm gonna let you get back on there in a second. For anybody listening to this podcast, do not, please, do not you dare let me define you. Do not let me and my arrogance saying this out. Let me define who you are. I am not saying that in a fact that you are obsolete, you are poor, you are not informed. I'm not saying that you are not worthy. What I'm saying is we all need to do better. We all need to grow. So nobody dare hear that, those words out of my mouth and say, oh, he's right. Oh, I'm complacent. Hell no. You proved me wrong for the right reason. We're all trying to level up our profession. I've heard from CIs before that, you know, I'm their best student that they've had. And on one hand for me, that makes it a compliment. And on the other hand, I'm sad. Because I want them to have better students than me in the future, right? I want them to have people who are better and better and better. By their, not by who I am, but by their own standards, by the values they hold for themselves for what they want to own. Because the truth is there's so much creativity in this profession, so much we can do. So please, anybody who's listening, take this with a voice of optimism. Take this with a voice of encouragement and nothing near a hint of belittlement. So great point that you just made, Nick. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to expand on that. I'm going to... Maybe the statement I'm gonna make is, is about to like go head to head with that with what the statement you just made. Um but I'm just gonna say it anyways. So so you mentioned um there's there's a differentiation between so so good there are good physical therapy students, like most of us it's hard to differentiate. Um but when you do differentiate them, it's about this this um according to John Winslow taking more continuing ed courses, taking that initiative to learn more, explore things you're passionate about, to show everybody in the PT profession that you're willing to take the extra step. So for you to take, take uh, loans out, to, to take courses, drive three hours um, to, to different courses for the weekend. Um, so one thing that I found really interesting, um, so you never had the thought occur to you that, oh, I'll just take these residency courses after I graduate when I got a job, because the job will pay for my residency courses. No, I, so, I, I, did, I did have that thought, Bob. You did have that thought. Okay, well, let me just finish this thought. Um, so I, when I hosted the a McKenzie Part A course, it was a great experience, but it was a very arduous task as well. Um, I was trying to convince a lot of my peers to take the the course. It was so normally it's about six hundred fifty dollars, and it was discounted to two fifty, and it's on site, so it's on campus, so it's literally walking distance. Uh, but the biggest factor that held a lot of the students from taking that course was that they had to still pay. And I'm saying, like, obviously, I'm not saying that everybody has all the money in the world, um, but at the same time, I feel like what separates the normal good physical therapy student from 
that that really is separate from the pack takes that extra step to find whatever resources they can to take that course. Because one, it's very convenient, and it's also something else um, if they're passionate about that that can help them with their future. But yes, but but your your thoughts about um, having that thought of oh, when I get a job, they'll yeah. be they'll be they'll be paying for me. Can you expand? Do you want to talk more about that? Absolutely, that Bob. And you, you know, from from what I heard, that you know, you you did have a good result with that course. You did have a lot of people show up. Now, was there resistance? Was it was it as many people as you wanted? Not necessarily, um, but you can't want it for other people. Yeah. They've got to want it. And, you know, you did a great job providing that opportunity and providing that encouragement and stimulus to say, hey, if we want to get better, this is a opportunity, a pathway of doing it, and why the heck not? So I did have that thought. I did, you know, because um, I also, similar to you, taking a couple courses at Cuga Medical Center at their uh, residency program, which, by the way, was the other residency program that did have 13 mentors throughout it, that, by the way, is highly respected, and I I think it's an amazing program. I love the clinicians who work there. Um, they, I took a couple courses from them, too. And so I had the thought of, okay, but I don't want to take, because at the time I was still strongly considering them. I said, okay, let me take two. I'm learning a ton. It shows my investment, but I don't want to take too many because then, you know, I won't get as much unique experience out of the residency. So I had that thought. Then I stopped waiting. Then I also had the thought through NIOMP. Once I was two or three courses in, I said, wait, there's a NIOMP residency. This is cool. I could just, you know, I could take the NIOMP residency and maybe, you know, my courses that I've already taken could substitute. Um, so, A, I wouldn't have to take the courses again, or I could do it to review, or I'd already be on my way. Or, B, I could substitute them for some of their higher-level fellowship-based courses. So, I could do that. So, that thought absolutely crossed my mind. Bob, guess what the thought after that was? After some pondering of that. So I'm gonna I'm gonna guess here. Um, would it be like? So there's a saying that when an amateur gets information, like they repeat it to them, they say, "Oh, not that information again." But a master would say, "Thank you for the reminder." So it's kind of along the line of every every time you take the course again, you learn even more than the first time you learned. Is it somewhere along that line, Nick? I'm guessing it is. You know, Bob, it's actually not. But I, 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 I did kind of play into your bias a little bit, and that's a great bias to have, and it's a great mindset to have, but it's not. Okay. I like how that was your next thought. My next thought was, okay, I can take these other courses as a residency, but I have access to them now. So basically, I'm going – again, this was like – dude, this was like in a semester of grad school where I was taking some tough courses – I was TAing two classes. I was taking, like, a bunch of these courses over the weekend multiple times a semester. It was, like, honestly insane. I'm, I'm impressed by myself at some times. Where, but other times I'm like, dude, I need to slow down a second. But anyways, for me, the thought was not I can do this later or it's an opportunity for a refresher. It's let me basically do a residency now before I graduate with all this material to get my foundation even higher. And then let me do a second residency for a legit residency. That's basically what my thought was. So a lot of people have said, oh, dude, you'll get, a, you'll get out there and you'll be, you know, as good as some residents who have graduated. I don't want that. I don't want mediocrity. I want let me get as damn good as I can. So what if I treat 
my residency I'm in now like a fellowship? Then what if I treat the fellowship I'm in next as something after that? And so it's all about what you treat it as for yourself to level up, not just what somebody else has done in somebody else's timeline. Because the second you do that, the second you put yourself in somebody else's shoes to try and do what they did in the timeline they did it in with that expectation, literally all that you're ever doing for yourself is not living your own dreams. Yeah, you're right. I like that. Man, that that's a great that's a great point. Um, I, I think for, and, for me for for me to like draw parallels with that, um, I took Part A, which is one of the four core foundations for the McKenzie residency or the McKenzie certification in general. Um, I wanted to take Part B, uh, but I, I couldn't because there was complications with the college's schedule and the coronavirus. Um, but my thought process of in the residency, I'm going to be taking them again. But at the same time, I knew that every time I would take the course, I would learn something new. Um, and there would always be something more to learn if I retook any course. Um, so that's, that's, that, that was how my thought process was when I was applying, when I was thinking of applying to the McKenzie residency, even though taken, even I've taken part A of the first course. I like it. And that's a great philosophy, great mindset to have. And it's one that I do carry with me. But I just thought there was a different mentality that carried me forward at that time for myself. Of course. So last week we and, and now, Bob, I will say that that's you know I'm not going to dabble too much more in this, but that's you know not all I did. It wasn't just the courses. It wasn't just the TAing. Um, you know I did. I was an RA as you were for many years, so I could use that as leverage to again these are all experiences I enjoyed. But to set myself up that way, I was a personal trainer for a long time. I got my CSCS. Um, and, you know, I worked with different musicians on campus and different performing artists, um, both inside a structure within Ithaca College and then outside of it, too. I was a go-to point person for a, a couple of music professors for their students. When their students got hurt or injured or whatever, they needed some consulting. As a last year, a second and third year student PT, I was there to help them out. And, you know, I did, you know, a dry needling course that I got um, – that basically was through my clinical at the VA that basically I can say the government paid for me to do it. Um, and I was involved um, with John Winslow um, on a big research project that we did on some, again, areas related to my interest. Am I a big research guy? No. But did I enjoy being involved in that with good people who have a good question and I can kind of help out in that process? Absolutely. So out of any of these opportunities I did, that research was probably more of the extrinsically motivated one to kind of get myself out there in different ways to look good for something. But it was still an enjoyable experience. So I think that there's a wealth of things that people can do to make themselves look and appear better. But you've also got to be focused. And part of that focus comes inherently with, hey, I'm doing this because I love it. And people can feel that. They can see the tangibility with it. And if you have kind of three different major areas, like for you, Bob, like some of the pain science, some of the McKenzie-based orthopedic things, um, some of the other strength and conditioning things that you're doing, and those are of genuine interest to you, great, do that. But if you're too scatterbrained, if you're doing too much, it's not in either a focused area or something that you care about, it comes off as disingenuine. It comes off as a resume booster for the sake of a resume booster, and that's not attractive. You don't want that. It'll probably get you some places. It'll probably get you a lot of places, but it won't get you where you want. And more importantly, the habit of doing that, 
you'll get burned out from it. Yes. So people can smell what real is. Like if, if you have passion, like a real passion towards something, people will, will know. If you're just going through the motions just, just to seem better, um, people will also know. That, that's Absolutely. On this. Um, so last week we talked about some accountability stuff. So um, the accountability task that you assigned to me was reading out my McKenzie residency paper that I was going to write, um, that, that I wrote. Um, so also part of the residency, now more on the practical side again, there's also residency essays. There's also residency references, um, as well as the other logistics of just handing it in, like the database to the application portal. Or sure. Kind of like any um, other job application, just it has up a lot more formal and standardized. Yes, correct. Um, so I would like to read just a part of the essay, um, just for the accountability piece. Um, so there were four prompts. To the essay, just like I think most of the residency essays have four prompts. So for the McKenzie residency, and specifically, the first prompt was, "Why are you Why are you interested in a residency program, and what led you to select the R program?" That's prompt one. Prompt two is, "What attributes and experiences make you the best candidate for consideration to participate in this residency?" Option three. How do you envision your future contributions to the McKenzie Institute and physical therapy profession? And then the last prompt is what additional information uh, would you like us to know about your experience, professional or personal attributes to help us know you better? So just based on like reading the questions or hearing the questions, you know, it's like, what, why are you passionate about this program specifically and what sets you apart? Um, and that's kind of the guide, the general theme that we've been talking about of what sets you apart, like the logistics of actually applying the tips and tricks to residencies. Would you agree with that, Nick? I would, Bob. Perfect. So I just wanted to read, I guess, just the first one, just to make it quick, just to get, I guess, to get a feel about this. Um, I actually wrote the essays two days ago, got it edited by with a friend, um, and proofread it. So this may or may not be the final copy, depending on how it comes off. Um, so the first problem, why are you interested in a residency program and what led you to selecting our program? So I'll just read from the beginning to the end for this prompt. Before I was introduced to the McKenzie Method, I found physical therapy, especially the outpatient side, to be unfulfilling. To be honest, for the first three years of schooling, I was completely under the impression that physical therapy was all about stretching tight muscles, strengthening the glute medius, and using electropaths to decrease pain. These concepts were constantly taught by professors, and they were all I did during my first clinical experience. I thought there was no clinical reasoning behind working with patients this way I was being taught. I saw patients coming in for their eighth visit with no change since their initial eval, and I was frustrated. I took many different continuing ed education courses and went to different conferences just to look for that spark that would make me fulfilled and better develop, it, develop my clinical reasoning process. There were some things that I really stood behind, like strength and conditioning principles in the rehab setting, but it wasn't until I learned about repeated movements, directional preference, McKenzie method, et cetera, in my physical therapy swine class that was taught by a certified MDT therapist that I got that spark. The very next day after that class, I had an initial eval with a patient. This was the first patient I was going to treat by myself with, uh, without a partner or a professor. As I was going through the evaluation with this 19-year-old, he told me he had back pain and bilateral anterior thigh pain for four years nonstop. He told me that he was frustrated. As he, and as he kept on explaining his history, I realized his symptoms had a directional preference. 
He told me his symptoms worsened with sitting and driving and improved with walking and other extension movements. And I decided to try this repeated movement thing that I just learned about. To my surprise, he felt better. In fact, his pain was completely abolished, and the shock and joy on his face is something that I'll never forget. I couldn't believe that something that I did was able to change someone so much. At that moment, I knew this was something. Uh, I knew there was something to this repeated movement and McKenzie method that I had to learn more about. I started badgering my professors for articles and information. I read every article I could access about MDT. I learned that there were classes for MDT, and I knew I eventually wanted to take all the classes. I heard that if the college hosted a Part A a few years ago, and I wanted the same experience. I asked my professor, and I pushed for another Part A course at the college, and it happened. While I was while I was excited about MDT after my spine class, what really galvanized my passion for it was my second clinical. One of, my clin one of the clinicians there was going through the pulmonary program, and even though she wasn't my CI, I asked if she would let me sit in so I could get, gain further exposure to MDT. I really enjoyed getting to see the method work in practice as it really forced, reinforced my belief in it. I was in awe with how she communicated with her patients by incorporating motivation, motivational interviewing and how she was talking with the patient rather than to the patient. Once I started applying MDT principles on patients myself, people began getting better. After some treatment, people that had back pain or back pain with like symptoms would share that they had less, less pain, that they were able to do things they weren't able to do before and more. For the first time, I was having fun with PT. I finally had the opportunity to help patients and make a difference in their lives. During my clinical every day, I woke up excited to go treat patients and nerd, about, nerd out about MDT with MDT clinicians. I knew, that, I knew that, that this was my calling, and I wanted to do this for the rest of my life. I know that the McKenzie Residency Program will allow me to level up to something that I am passionate about and fully believe in. In order to me, for me to advance in my clinical reasoning process and communication with patients, as well as further develop my relationships with experts in the MDT field, I know that the McKenzie Residency Program is where I want to be. So that was pretty much the first prompt essay. Um, and what are your initial thoughts, Nick? Do you have any initial gut reactions? So this is a thought for everybody listening out here. In many ways, this podcast manifest mindset has been about accountability, has been about vulnerability, has been about putting yourself out there in our actions before the results are guaranteed. For everybody listening out there, we're holding Bob accountable to this. We're holding Bob accountable to do everything he can to be accepted into this position. Because Bob's saying those words you said were powerful. Those words you said had meaning to him. Those words you said told a deep and beautiful story. And that story needs to come into fruition for yourself, for your patients, for physical therapy, and for the world. Yes, I agree. Are you done, Nick? Oh, I'm here. Okay. I am here and vibrant, my friend. I see. I see. Okay. Well, my, well, after reading that, um, I thought it pretty much embodied what we talked about today in terms of things that set you apart, things that you're passionate about, and you know exactly what 
Like people can tell what real passion is. Now, did, did you feel that passion? I I know you just said you, you kind of did, but um, well, let me word that in a different way, Bob. I feel sorry that the person that you submit this to has to read your essay as opposed to receive a great audio file of you telling the story yourself. You told with passion, my friend. Okay. Thank you, Nick. I, I appreciate That means a lot to me. Um, that really does mean a lot. And you know, Bob, aside from a couple crude and bad jokes, I wouldn't say a damn thing I don't mean. Yes. <laughs> Thank you so much, Nick. I, that, that means a lot. Um, hey, I'm, I'm proud of you, brother. You put in good work. It's a clear message. Um, you told your story well. If I'm being a complete uh, nitpicker, the one thing I would change is your statement early on about in the first three years of school. I would just clarify that and say in undergrad, because not not all places are assumed that we go through this combined program. In fact, that's more the rarity in the PT world as opposed to going to an undergrad, doing different things in life, reapplying, going to physical therapy school. So I wouldn't want to confuse them. So I changed those words around, but otherwise the message was true. It showed your transformation, your process of growth, your beginning story to where you are now. You told the hero's journey, my friend. That was it. That was the goal. Um, thank you, Nick. Thank you. So accountability-wise, next week, <laughs> so, so this was one essay out of out of four, and because we're we're running um, a little bit over time, or, or the podcast is going a little bit longer. Um, I have an idea, Bob. Yes. Next week, you read the other three parts. That's your accountability. Um, sure. Well, I was thinking. So there's another essay. So there's like a scholarship essay that I also want to just write. Um, just for next week, and I think that that should be my accountability task that I want to set for myself. Uh, okay. But reading reading the next three passages, we'll start with that next week. Okay. How about this? We'll do the. I like that plan. And actually, I like this plan a lot. For next week, your accountability is going to because you've written the other three parts, correct? Yes. Good. Your accountability for next week is going to be writing the scholarship essay in full. It is going to be on live in the podcast, reading the other three. It is going to be not reading one ounce, one word of the scholarship essay because I want to instill in you, Bob, the possibility of continuing your intrinsic motivation over your extrinsic motivation. You have every single way, mean, and form of copping out. You have every opportunity to lie to me and say, on air, on the podcast, hey, Nick, I finished it, I wrote it, I wrote the scholarship essay, when you might not even have put one pen down, one type of a keyboard on it. So I want you to be a man of your word next week and do that. Okay, I will. All right, perfect, Nick. Uh, thank you so much for keeping me accountable. Thank you for, so much for sharing your knowledge, your advice, your tips and tricks. Um, and your tricks to buying 150 eggs in the time of crisis. <laughs> hey, that's the, that's the easiest part of this mission, my friend. The, the appetite is all natural. The appetite is passion. It's appetite for life. I am guilty of keeping a lot on my plate physically and metaphorically. 
Perfect. All right, next. All right, boss, you it's been fantastic. See you next week, my friend. Yep. Bye-bye. Thank you.